have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. A new world order. Child sex trafficking. The deep state is trying to destroy Donald Trump's presidency. Loose the battle plans of heaven. It's all about control. Broadcasting live to the world now. It's the Weekend Vigilante, Sheila Zielinski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this September 20th, 2017 edition. Thank you so much for being patient. As you can hear, my voice is not completely up to par, but I'm still going to trudge through this interview. This is a really important show. My guest today is John Terrell. I've had him on the program many times I was particularly very impressed several years ago when I came across an incredible little series on the Kabbalah. And let me tell you, that thing is straight out of the pit of hell. And I'm not understating that in the least. If you have not got John Terrell's Kabbalah series, it's seven little books, but now it's eight. John has added a new book that I think is really the icing on the cake, so to speak. It is called Bitter Fruit. At the end of the show, John, I'm going to get you to talk about the storms, what you think's going on, and I want your comments on this September 23rd rapture. I want you to briefly comment on both those subjects. Get into this part eight of your Kabbalah series, Bitter Fruit. John Terrell, welcome to the program. I'm going to hand you the mic and have you get into this, sir. Take it away. Well, praise the Lord, and thank you, Sheila, for having me on your program. I want to talk today about uh, my book, uh, Bitter Fruit. This is number eight in the Kabbalah series, and uh, it deals with education. And um, it is hard sometimes to get people excited over education. People are interested in, you know, the Antichrist, witchcraft, the giants and UFOs, you know, the latest stuff from Trump. And uh, uh, these are subjects people like to hear about. But they don't really understand that education is the most important thing that you and I can think about and to take some action on. And I'm going to start talking about my book by starting in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And let me speak to you as a person right now. If I would call you up and ask you, who are you? You would give me your name, and your name was given to you by your parents. So you did not select that unless you change your name later on. You would tell me where you live. You would tell me you're married, you're divorced, you're not married, you're single. Uh, you would tell me about your education. You would do a lot of description about yourself and all these attributes that you talk about yourself is done by others. Few people have ever sat down and asked themselves this question, who am I? Where did I come from? What's the purpose in life for me? What does God want me to do? Few people have ever done that. We simply just go through life on an automatic pilot, and so we simply flounder around. So I want you to think about that today as I'm talking about this. Who are you? 
can you define yourself? Not attributes that other people said about yourself, not about things that you have done, but who are you? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to read to you here from the first nine verses. And this is an instruction that God gave to Moses before Moses left the earth. Now these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in a land where you go to possess it, that you might fear the Lord your God to keep all the statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your son's son, all the days of your life, your days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, or Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of your fathers that promised you in a land that flowers with milk and honey. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words we are commanded as they shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently unto your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand. They shall be as front between your eyes. And you shall write them upon the post of your house and on your gates. God simply told Moses, now it is important that the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren will know their identity. What was the identity of Moses? He was a descendant of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. He had been commissioned to bring people out of Egypt. He had taken a nation of Israel out of Egypt. They had been brought into the land and they were selected to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were selected to go into the promised land. They were selected to preserve the word of God. They were selected in a future to have the Messiah come through that nation. This was their identity. The identity was they were simply followers of Almighty God. They were his servants. And God said, now, it is extremely important that you educate your children and your grandchildren and so on. Let me take you now to Judges. Chapter 2, that Judges chapter 2. Let me read to you here from uh, verse number 6 in chapter 2 of Judges. And when Joshua let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which be on the third generation, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which had been done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, fallen to other gods, 
of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed himself unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtoreth. So what happened here is that Joshua simply had now the, it was his job to educate the people that was coming after him. And Joshua simply failed. The second generation failed. And the third generation ended up having no identity. Let me stress it again. The third generation had no identity. They were in the promised land. They lived a good life, so to say. They were working, had places to live, and so on. But they lost their identity because they had not been educated. And this is exactly what's happened to the United States. This is what happened to Canada. This is what happened to Western Europe. That the educational system has been hijacked hundreds of years, about a hundred years ago. And it was deliberately set forth to do destruction by destroying the identity of the children to come in Western in the Western world. Let me insert another thing here, and that is a doctrine about the rapture. The Christian church that we have today, the Evangelical churches, Pentecostal churches, uh, you will hear all the pastors talk about the rapture's coming, and we're not going to be here when the Antichrist comes, and everything is going to be fine, you know, so we don't have to worry about that. And so I want to talk to you about, is the rapture teaching true or not true? Where did it originate? Do we have an origination date? And the answer is yes. Up to about 1900, Christians in Western Europe and the United States and Canada did not believe that the saints would be raptured out before the coming of the Antichrist. Matter of fact, they still had a biblical understanding that, like it says in the book of Revelation, we would still be here and it would be a war between Christians and the Antichrist. So how could this teaching come into being? Here is it come into being. At the time that the Illuminati was created, we talk about 1700 now, 1776 was the date, but they started back in the 1750s. It was decided by people behind the Illuminati and the world government, that what they wanted to do was to create a teaching that would make Christians abandon the educational system, the justice system, and the legislation in our nations. And to do that, they used a Jewish man by the name of Lacunza, who had joined the Catholic Church to become a Jesuit priest, and he was working down from Argentina, and uh, he simply had a vision of the rapture. He wrote down the entire script, so to say, the story, and he later came back to Rome. He was then transferred to Spain, where they didn't go any place, but he had his writings. Ten years after he came back to Europe, someone took the manuscript, translated it into English, and brought it to a Pentecostal pastor by the name of Irving. 
that lived in London, and he had a charismatic Pentecostal church. This is before Azusa Street, 1907. We had talked about 50 years earlier. And Irving was very popular. He had a fantastic church. He read this, and he said, this is something I believe in. So he started to teach it. Then came another man by the name of Darby, and Darby was a Plymouth brother. He also was on the payroll of the world government, and he took the teaching, and he started as an evangelist to begin to propagate in England. And later he went to the United States, where he met Cyrus Schofield, the man behind the Schofield Bible. And now we're talking about in the 1860s and the 1870s. And Schofield adopted this. Now, Schofield himself was on a payroll of the world government, and his mission was to do destruction in the Christian church. So he developed this, now teaching on the rapture, and he then was able to place it at Moody Bible Institute around 1900, and also at Dallas Theological Seminary in Texas. And from these two places, then began the seed to go out, and of course they had pamphlets and books and so on, and in less than 50 years, the entire Christian churches, evangelical, Pentecostal, Baptist churches in the United States had been changed totally, and now they were into the rapture. What was the result? Well, the teaching was in the churches, what the pastor said was this, Jesus is coming back, he's going to pick us up, he's going to have the rapture. Christians, get out of education, get out of politics, get out of the justice system, don't get involved in the world, let the world go to hell, let the devil have it all. We're just going to stay in our churches and wait for Jesus to come back and rapture us. And this is exactly what happened. And this is why on the school boards, you don't have many Christians, or you go to county supervisors, city councils, uh, you take legislators, or governors, and so on. The Christians simply disappeared. And because of that, the educational system was turned over to people that were secular, and they then ran with it. In my book, bitter fruit. I'm talking about, first of all, I share with you about the education, about the soul, and so on. And then I pinpointed one organization that simply was in charge of the education. And I want you to understand now that you can have an organization, and there might not be many of them, but they are able to change a whole nation to change the entire globe, so to say, with their works. So the Illuminati in Europe organized a cell in the United States, and it was called Skull and Bones, and uh, 322 was the number of it, and this cell was placed at Yale University in the United States. The setup was the following. They would only select 15 members per year. That's not a whole lot. So I want you not to understand, they were not looking for mass of people. They were looking for a few select people. So they set up the cell in 1832, and 15 members were inducted into the Order of Skull and Bones every year. 
Now, you could not get in when you were a freshman. It was during the last year at Yale that you were asked to join. And the way they did it was, you could not say, oh, I want to join Skull and Bones. You were selected and you had an option to say yes or no. And they will not even tell you what Skull and Bones was about. They simply said, do you want to join or not join? So 15 men every year joined the organization. They had an elaborate ritual, which was a satanic ritual, where they took the men in. They had to undress, they were totally naked. They had to lay in coffins. And uh, they did this with one by one, each one in the coffin. Then eventually they were standing outside of screaming curses and so on. Uh, they would then lift them up one by one, and had them kneel in front of a table where you had a skull with a light inside it. And they would then have to swear allegiance to Lucifer, allegiance to skull and bones. And they took an oath of death that if they revealed any secrets whatsoever, they would then be killed and hunted down. After they had taken the oath of the ceremonies, these 15 men were then thrown into a mud pit where they had to wrestle one another in the mud pit naked while the older members stood around the mud pit and looked on and so on. They also had to, prior to that, talk about their sexual life and, and a number of things that simply would make them morally corrupt. So you might say, well, 15 men, how can I change the United States? Well, let me tell you this. They're called bonesmen, and the bonesmen have come to infiltrate just about every organization and every political organization in the United States. In my book here, I've taken out the most well-known bonesmen that we've had. And the first one I talk about is Prescott Bush, who was a senator, and he was a father of uh, George H.W. Bush. And Prescott Bush did a lot of damage. He was active up to 1950. We had Henry Luce, he had an uh, empire of magazines. Time Life, for example, is one of his uh, big magazines he had. And then we had H.W. Bush. We had George W. Bush. A number of others. We had John Kerry was the last one. He was a uh, secretary of state, a member of the state. The right of the global community supersedes all special privileges. Hegel also introduced dialectic as a tool which manipulated a person into a circular pattern of thinking. You must say, well, I don't quite understand that. Let me try to help you understand that. The Bible says that God created man in his image and that we are individuals. And as individuals, we have freedom to make choices. We have the freedom to live. And in the United States Constitution, it says, you know, we, we have the right to pursue happiness and, and so on, that all men are created equal before God. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the American Constitution teaches. Hegel said that is not so. The state is supreme, and each person simply is a member of the state and should serve the state. And a member does not have any rights. Now, in order to process this system, he created what is called a dialectic system. And here is how it works. Let's think that we take now a king or any country. We say king of England. The king of England wants to do a certain thing. He wants to have an agenda. But he knows 
that there is opposition. So he simply finds two different men, and he has one man to write up exactly what the king wants. The other man writes up exactly what the king does not want. Then the men go out. They get people to line up with them, and they create parties. And pretty soon we have a big fight that we have violence on the streets and people are rioting and saying, you know, I want this. And the other says, no, I want that and so on. So the king says, okay, we have an impossibility here. I can't meet the demand of both of you. So I'm going to give you a compromise. And the king says, uh, I give a little bit here and give a little bit there, which means that in reality now he got 25% on what he wanted to do, and the masses do not understand, they are manipulated. Well, then he continues and starts another movement, two different movements and so on, and it works until he has all the power in his hands. Now, the founder of communism, Moses Hess, Karl Marx, Friedrich Engels, they adopted Hegel's philosophy and that's how what they used in the Soviet Union. That's what's used in China today. That's what's used in Cuba, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam. Uh, that was used in Germany during the Hitler years. This is the system used. And this is a system right now that you find that is used in the United States. President Trump was elected. And, of course, there was the Christians, basically Christians standing behind them, free-thinking people that wanted to go back to the Constitution. So now the left simply says, no, we don't want that. So they're on the streets. It's called the resistance movement. And there is clashes back and forth. And so the powers to be above this are thinking, you know, we clash these groups together and eventually word them out and we get a compromise. And this is why they are hitting Trump so hard. So this is what we have for the educational system. So there were a number of men that came in, and uh, basically if you've been to college, some of these men, you know about who they are, and others, if, if you only have a high school education, you don't know that. But we had a number of people here in the United States. We had Daniel Gilman, uh, we had Horace Mann, we had uh, Johann Friedrich Harbert with the Harbert Society that probably most people never heard of. We had William Wundt, which is actually the father of psychology. Of course, that is affecting you on a daily basis because the Wundt psychology, which is based upon Hegelian principles, is governing everything, including affirmative action. So a lot of things that happen goes back to this education. But since we don't have the understanding, we don't know why it is happening and so on. Then you got a guy who was very bad. His name was G. Stanley Hall. He introduced a rigid education in the United States. He, he consolidated that. And then he was followed by other people that came after him all the way down to today. Uh, another person that came on board was Abraham Flexner, uh, Friedrich Taylor Gates. And these people captured the pharmaceutical industry and the medical field in the United States where you have no freedom, you have the American Medical Association, AMA. If you're a doctor, you want to practice, you got to line up with AMA or you're a dead duck. And so we had William Welch and, and a number of other people coming down. And then, of course, we had John Dewey. That some of you heard about John Dewey. And then we had a guy by the name of Henry Kissinger that did a lot of damage. 
And of course, he was known as Dr. Death, and uh, he, he introduced pragmatic philosophy. And pragmatic philosophy is, again, an outshoot of Hegel. For example, like he, in Vietnam, he simply told uh, Nixon this, that the war is lost, we can't win the war, so the best we can do is just to abandon the people that we have propped up, the people that we encouraged to fight the communists, abandon them, and then simply embrace the communists to start doing business with them, move on, and if the poor people in Vietnam get slaughtered and under communist regime, who cares as long as we continue our lifestyle here? That's called pragmatic philosophy. And that was Henry Kissinger was a master of that. Now, in my book, then I go into the Trump factor. And when Donald Trump was elected, now he knew about the system. And he knew that education, some people say Donald Trump is a stupid guy, he's a businessman, he's rough, he's cussing, he doesn't really know a whole lot. He knows a lot more than what people give him credit for. And so when he won the election, he selected as his education secretary, Betsy DeVos. And if you've been in the United States, I mean, she was lambasted and I mean, she was just taken to hell and back. But Betsy DeVos is a Christian. She's been a Christian for many years, her and her husband. And they are working on voucher system. We know this. We cannot turn back the public school system. It's too entrenched. But we can abandon it by simply having private schools, Christian private Christian schools. And then have a voucher system, which simply says this, if a parent doesn't want to send his child to public schools, he doesn't have to. He can do homeschooling. He can send it to a Christian school. And if you send it to a Christian school, you should have the right to get a voucher. In other words, let's say, I just take a number, $10,000. So you should be able to get $10,000 from the state that you live in and put that money into the Christian school, take it from the public school budget and move it to the Christian school budget. And that way we can increase our Christian education. We can expand it because now we have taxpayers' money. And there's simply a right that we should have. And of course, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton and people like that are screaming to high heaven because they say, no, we, we can't do that because it would destroy the public schools. Well, praise the Lord, we do need to destroy the public schools and get rid of the Hegel system. We need to have a private school system and then we need to have a reworking of the public school system. So this is what they're making right now and this is working itself through. So, of course, the left the world government, they are simply beside themselves. Now, I want to share a couple of things with you here that is very important to understand, and this is from the book. And uh, this is what they are teaching. And this is a Democratic assemblyman in California. And notice this now. California is a hell place to live in. I mean, the Democrats are running this place, and they have destroyed, they're running it in the ground. They have total control of California. So the California Democratic Assemblyman, John Vasconcellos, who lived between 1932 and 2014, 
In the early 1980s, he was a chairman of the Joint Committee on the Master Plan for Higher Education and the Educational Goals Committee. And this is what he wrote, and this is what they did. It is not time for a new vision of ourselves, of man, of human nature, and of human potential, and a new theory of politics, an institution premised upon that vision. What is that vision of man? That the natural whole organism, orgasmic human being is loving. That man's basic trust is toward community. Without words, the individual has no value. Everything what we want to do is supposed to be the state is in charge. Let me continue a couple of quotes from my book here. And this is from another one now. This is from Obadiah Silas Harris. He was an associate professor of educational management and development of the New Mexico State University in Las Cruces, New Mexico. In a book entitled Self-Knowledge and Social Action, he made the following statement. When community educators say that community education takes into consideration the total individual and his total environment, they mean precisely this. The field of community education includes the individual in his total psychophysical structure and his entire ecological climate with all its ramifications, social, political, economical, cultural, spiritual. It seeks to integrate the individual with himself and within the, his community until the individual becomes a cosmic soul and the community in the world. So they want you to be a cosmic soul where you have no identity. The state is your identity. There is no God. You come from an old ape, an old monkey, and you are just a cog. There's no morality. There's no right. There's no wrong except the state is always right. Harris then described what it means by a cosmic soul. The cosmic soul, the whole human race, is going to evolve an effective soul of its own, the cosmic soul of that race. That is the future of human evolution. As a result of the emergence of the universal soul, there will be a great unification of the entire human race, ushering into existence a new era, a new dawn of unique world power. God does not exist. The state exists. The state is supreme, and you are to be a cog in that equation. So this is just a little excerpt here from my book, Bitter Fruit. And it's something that you really need to have. And I'm not saying that because we want to make money. We're selling this book for $7. And I'm not getting rich for 7 Matter of fact, all the books I write, I don't get any money from because into the ministry. I get no royalties. But this book is important because as the parents, as grandparents, or as future parents, you need to make a decision about your children and their education. You need to make a decision about their identity. And to do that, you need to make an informed decision. So you need to learn where did the American education come from, education in other places? Where did it come from? What are the goals? What, are the, what can we do to fight this? What can we do in a different way? And how can I protect my children from becoming cosmic souls? And I wish in one way I could just get into your place, be right there with you in your home, 
in your apartment, wherever you are, and simply face-to-face, simply say this. Do you understand that in Nazi Germany, they took over the education, and they educated the children from the time of kindergarten. And in the last years of the war, 44 and 45, they had children 12, 13, 14 years old that were given guns and told, go and fight to the death. The communists did the same thing in the Soviet Union. And we've seen ISIS have been doing that. I mean, they've taken children as young as five years and given them a gun, a revolver, or a pistol. They've tied up someone they want to kill. And they t- tell that little five-year-old, and you've seen pictures of this, where he simply says, squeeze the trigger and kill that bastard who's hanging there on the ropes. And that little child will do that. And they are making him a cosmic soul. So this is the reason I wrote the book. Bitter fruit, because it sure is bitter fruit. Now, in the time I got left here, I want to talk about something else that just flabbergasted me, that came into me yesterday. I've written a series of books called the Kabbalah books, and someone asked, now, why do you call it the Kabbalah books? Well, because the Kabbalah is the religion of the Antichrist. It's a religion of the world government. This is what we are fighting. And then yesterday, I got... Two books sent to me, and two letters, and they were from a, a person. Uh, she called herself Sheila Vitali, and she is the head director of the Christ-centered Kabbalah. I did not know this existed. If you don't know something exists, of course, I would never put in Christ-centered Kabbalah. I would never put in, you know, Christian Kabbalah. I will never do that because I didn't think it existed. It would be like, you know, we have a satanic club between Christians and Satanists, you know. It is a satanic Christian club. But this, again, is about education. Let me read a couple of things here from this here letter that I got as they try to convert me. Dear Pastor Terrell, the following is some information concerning the four degrees of Kabbalah as they are manifested through Jesus Christ. Well, so we have four degrees of the Kabbalah through Jesus Christ. The first degree is the only degree of Kabbalah that Christ and the Kabbalah shares with the Jewish Kabbalah. And you completely shun Christian Kabbalah, which is used in magic and other occult practices. Here at the Christ and the Kabbalah, we preach the principles of longevity and the binding of the death process by the authority, power, and strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. The principle of longevity is that there is going to be a company of believers whose physical life will be extended to the end of the sixth millennium, which is year 2240, or the year 6000 on the Jewish calendar. So now we're going to have a supernatural extension of life. And for what reason? So that we can bring out the Kabbalistic message to the world during this time. Let me bring out a couple of other things. Philosophical Kabbalah, the depth of understanding gleaned from the study of the letter of the word, including comparing scripture with scripture, Hebrew and Greek word usage, and multiple translation of any single Hebrew or Greek word. That's the philosophical Kabbalah. Then you got a meditative Kabbalah, and they're studying the letters, Hebrew letters. So we have information from the angels that will tell us about it. Christ-centered Kabbalah receives relation knowledge from Christ Jesus. The angel in the midst of us through deep studies 
of the Hebrew and Greek in the linear text of the written word. Then you had the prophetic Kabbalah. I'm just going to shoot in a couple of things here, what they all have here. We have the practical Kabbalah, and that is pure witchcraft. Kabbalah can be used, this is what they say, Kabbalah can be used for good as well as evil, depending on the spirit that yields it. Wow. As I'm sure you know, this is also true for the Word of God, which practitioners of witchcraft sometimes use for their own ungodly purposes. So witches uses the Word of God in witchcraft. Unfortunately, practical Kabbalah has been apprehended by some ungodly persons and who misuse it for evil purposes, wherefore many serious believers would not investigate Christ-centered Kabbalah. But Jesus of Nazareth clearly demonstrated that God's application on the practical Kabbalah. And he goes on and on here and about this. There's another thing I want to bring out here at the end of this program. She also says this, The Shekinah glory is one of the female rings that Jehovah's male spirit flow through. She is not God, but she reveals God to men which would otherwise not be able to comprehend him at all. So, God now is male. He has a female attribute. I mean, if, if you talk about confusion, this is a total confusion. Here's what I learned. The more complicated a teaching is, the more people flock to it. The simple gospel of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, living a sinless life on this earth, dying on the cross for our sins, raised on the third day, resurrected, seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, and through his death and resurrection we can be saved. That is too simple, and people want to have it more complicated. So for me to wrap this up, here is what I want you to take home with you. You've heard about communism, fascism, socialism, secular humanism, and you wonder, where did it come from? It came from the Kabbalistic teaching of George Hegel and the people that are described here in the program today in the book, Bitter Fruit. You might be your grandparents right now and your children are grown. What about your grandchildren and great-grandchildren? Are you concerned about them? If you're a parent, are you concerned about your children, their education? If you're a single person today and you're thinking about getting married, are you thinking about your children's education? Do you understand that the identity will be determined either by you and the Bible or by public schools and teaching of the Kabbalistic Hegelian system? Simple. So you got to make a choice. And like I read to you in the beginning from Judges chapter 2, the third generation of Israel, they did not know that they came out of Egypt. They did not know that God is almighty God. They did not know his statutes and his laws. And they simply flowed into a hedonistic idolatry. And God judged them for it. And eventually they lost the land. So education is important. You cannot be selfish and say, well, you know, I don't care. You should care. If you don't have any children, you should care about other people's children. So my suggestion to you is this. Get educated. In my writings, what I have done, I have cited sources. I have cited different sources and so on. And it will give you a platform. You can take my books and go on the Internet, put it on Google or Yahoo, in subject after subject, and you're going to find a enormous amount of material coming up 
and you'll be able to verify every point that I have made and say, it's true, it's true, it's true. And then once you verify that, now you are motivated to take an action. Pray to lead people to Christ, and most of all, to work hard in your community to control the education of the children that you live around. Well said, well said, John. At the end of the program, I'm going to tell people how they can get your Kabbalah series, incredible little series for only $48 for those little eight books. Tremendous information in this. John, in the waning moments here of the show, I want you to comment, well, what do we see in right now? Hurricane Maria, so much has gone on in the last couple of weeks. First of all, what is your thoughts about all these storms, John? And because everybody's emailing me about September 23rd, going to be the rapture, right? I want you to also comment on that. The hurricanes, the earthquakes, and the devastation that we are seeing right now during the month of August and September. And many people are simply saying, well, I believe this is done by Harp or Scalar or someone else has been messing with this and it's man-made. And I do not believe it is man-made. I believe that this is from God. And I want to give you the following reasons for that. God is the God of love, but he's also God of judgment. And there was no other nation he loved more than he loved the people of Israel. He loved Abraham. He loved his offspring. He loved Moses. He took them out of Egypt and put them in the land. But he gave him a warning. He said this, if you get into idolatry, if you sin, you will lose the land. I will kick you out, and also I will judge you. In the book of Amos, chapter 4, we read the following here what God said. Also, I have withholden the rain from you when they were yet three months to the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece would rain not withered. Two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied, yet have you not returned unto me, says the Lord. I have smitten you with a blasting and a mildew, but your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased. The palm womb devoured them, yet you have not returned unto me, says the Lord. I have sent among you the pestilence after the man of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with a sword. I have taken away your horses. I have made a stink of your camp to come up unto your nostrils. Yet you have not returned unto me, says the Lord. Now, God simply said this. I am sick and tired of your sins, and I will judge you. And if you look upon the historical record, you will find out that God certainly did judge. So how does God think? In Genesis chapter 15, and we pick it up here in verse number 13 through 16. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger to the land that is not theirs. They shall serve them, they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom you shall serve will not judge. Afterward shall they come out with great substance. And you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither. Again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The Amorites, the Canaanites, and all the other people that lived in the land of Canaan, the promised land. God said here to Abraham, I'm going to give them 400 years to repent or to fill their sins to the brim. 
and then judgment will come. So God simply, now if you look upon the United States, we look upon uh, the Caribbean islands and so on, it's about 400, 450 years since people from Europe came in and settled those places, including the United States and Canada and South America, about 450 years. Now, God is simply saying this, I am fed up. Look upon the abortions, look upon the fornication, look upon homosexuality, look upon the corruption, political corruption we have, and the number of different things. I want to give you one more verse, and that is Revelation chapter 6. It is from verses 15 and 17. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks and the mountains, and said to the mountain of the rock, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne of the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Who is the Lamb? That's Jesus. And the Bible says here, Today he is your Savior. When he comes back, he will be your judge. And he will have great wrath. So God is a God of love, but also of judgment. And as you look upon these nations, look about the Caribbeans. These are where we send a lot of tourists. They're living on tourists. This is where you have the whorehouses. You have the gambling casinos. You have all kind of fornication. You have people with homosexuality. This is where people go to sin and sin greatly. And God simply said, paradise is lost. These are paradise islands, but God simply said, I'm going to bring them down to nothing. You look upon Mexico, the earthquake we had this week in Mexico, exactly 32 years to the day, there was another earthquake that killed 20,000 people. This time it was less people. Did Mexico change? Did the pastors say we need to repent? Not a chance. The churches are silent, and we need to begin to say God is judging and what God wants you and me to do is to repent of our sins, begin to fast and pray for the nation, and to proclaim to people around us that God is judging. Puerto Rico is known for witchcraft. We have voodoo. We got Santeria in conjunction with the tourists that are coming in and so on. And so God is simply saying this here. I am sick and tired because people on the island and the Puerto Ricans that live, for example, in New York, they bring this into here and they are killing their chickens. They're having sacrifices to their gods and so on. And so God finally said, enough is enough. And when he clean house, he cleans house. <laughs> and the devastation in Puerto Rico is enormous. Will people repent? It depends upon the pastors if they will say to people, you need to repent. I just want to make a short comment here on September 23rd. A lot of people have uh, sold books and all kinds of different things, and they talk about the raptures could take place on the 23rd and so on. Let me tell you this. The Bible tells us before anything happened, and you have this in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, before anything happened, the Antichrist will come on the scene, and we know that they are going to have a temple. There is no temple in Jerusalem. The Antichrist is not coming on the scene, 
and there is no rapture. What's going to happen? September 23rd is nothing. And just like the Seven Days Adventists for years, they advertised that Jesus coming back, nothing. Jehovah's Witness, the same thing. It is so sad that in the Christian community, people make money. And ask yourself this question. If this is going to be a rapture of the 23rd, why are people charging you money for their books and cassettes and videos and so on? If they're going to be raptured, do they need the money? Are they going to take the money with them to heaven? Hey, it's a game. It's a ripoff. So don't worry about it. On the 24th, we still be here. And we need to be trucking for Jesus and pump out the gospel. So don't be panicking. Don't buy into this stuff, but simply pit, keep your nose in the Bible. One f final word here from Jesus. This is found in Matthew chapter 24. And he talks about, he said this, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knows no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So if anyone is predicting Jesus is coming back, the end of the world, then I would simply say they are fools because Jesus himself, the Son of God, said, I do not know this. The angels do not know this. Of course, Satan doesn't know it. Only the Father. And the Father will not reveal that until the day it happens. Amen. Well, John, in the waning moments, give out your information how folks can get a copy of this amazing final book in the series, Bitter Fruit. How can they get a copy, John? If you want to get a copy of my book, uh, Bitter Fruit, which is Kabbalah book number eight, uh, the easiest way to do is to go to our website, eaec.org, stands for European American Evangelistic Crusades, and simply go down and find Bitter Fruit. You have the Kabbalah book series there, so it's on our homepage. And then just click on that, use PayPal, and you can order it. Praise the Lord. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for your time and coming on the program today, John. Thank you very much, and God bless you, and thank you for having me. Thank you, John. God bless. Folks, that was Pastor John Terrell from eaec.org. That's eaec.org, and I've got a link there, a direct link to purchase those eight Kabbalah books. There's a great deal on that. It's $48. You get all eight, including this newest one. So I really encourage people to get that. A lot of information in those little booklets. Also, very exciting next week, we're going to be trying to launch the new website, which is exciting. We're just working on a customized media player. The coding in it has taken a little longer than we thought. All in all, it's just way better. And I think you're really going to enjoy this new site and again, we're just working out some kinks. It's going to be wonderful when it is ready. So thank you for your patience. And I want to just also, again, thank all my patrons that have really stepped up to the plate. I'm going to have some exclusive shows that are just for you. And a reminder, this program is on the air because of the faithful support of you, the listeners. And I encourage if you have not become one of my patrons, very simply go to weekendvigilante.com. A banner will come up. You simply go to that. Or you can also go to the donate page. We're coming down to the end of September. We're coming down to the wire. And we want to lock in our goal. You can donate 
5, 10, 15, 20, 25 dollars. If you have the means to do 25 or more a month, lock that in. Help me reach my goal. We're 75 percent of the goal, and I think we can do better. I think we can reach the goal. Now, there is other options besides Patreon. There's PayPal, there's GoFundMe. You can do credit card payments. You can mail checks. You can mail international money orders only, please. If you have recently sent me a U.S. money order, usually on the back it says only negotiable in the U.S. If you have sent me, I've got about six money orders that I can't do anything with here. So if you've recently sent me a money order, this is really important. If you have not put your address on because I've got one blank one, that belongs to somebody and there's nothing I can do with it. So I need to hear from you if you've recently, in the last two months, sent me a money order. So I just want to remind folks that's international money orders only. So just ask for them if that's your preferred method of payment. But like I said, do get a hold of me if you've sent me a money order. My contact information is there at weekendvigilante.com. I need to hear from those people because you've already purchased these. And if you have not, please do sign up for my free e-newsletter. That is a really good way if something goes south on my website that I can contact you. I like to give you monthly updates on things that are going on. Make sure that you become a subscriber of my free e-newsletter because there's lots of stuff going on. It's very simple. Just go to my website and you fire in your email. Boom, done. Listen, that's important. It's important for me to be able to connect with you and give you monthly updates and alerts and bulletins as to what's going on. And you do want to be keeping in the loop. Trust me, there's some things on the horizon. You're going to want to stay in the loop. So in summary, again, I just want to thank my patrons. I want to thank everyone that donates to this ministry on a monthly basis. I am very grateful for that. I appreciate you. And I appreciate all your cards, your letters, your emails, your phone calls, conveying how much this show means to you. That means a lot to me. And I thank you very much for that. Between the fake news and the false teaching, it is becoming more evident that this show needs to stay on the air. So we so appreciate your support and look forward to your continued support. Tomorrow on the program, it is Danny Morano. You're not going to want to miss that. Thank you for tuning into the broadcast. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night and God bless.